We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. So then you feel empowered, and that's with your adult learners and even the admins. They felt more comfortable learning how to create and sustain those courageous conversations because we can't just do it when something traumatizing or traumatic happens to us. You know, we have to be able to continually have those courageous conversations that's going to build us stronger as a community all the time. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Nyree Clark is a curriculum program specialist in EdTech Pre-K-6 to for the Colton Joint Unified School District. She is a founding member of Equity in Action California, which is with a hashtag and appointed to the Instructional Coaches Advisory Board for Future Ready Schools organization. She is very passionate about amplifying the voices of the unheard through culturally responsive teaching pedagogy. I'd like to take a second and welcome Nairi to the podcast. I am happy that she has agreed to be on it. She's got a lot of good things to say, especially about these different organizations she's part of. So welcome, Nairi. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be here today. It's my lunchtime and I get to spend it with you, with you all. So this is this is awesome. So happy to be here. Excellent. We've got a we've got a cross-country lunchtime going on here. So <laughs> <laughs> time zones. Who, you know, what what are they anymore? Time is so relative. <laughs> there you go. We're all connected. We're we're closer to each other. So if you could take a couple seconds or minutes to to describe exactly who you are and why you do what you do. Oh, great. I'd love to share that with you. You know, I am a curriculum program specialist. So what that means for people that are like, what is that? You know, education, we love our acronyms. That is, uh, that basically means I'm an ed tech coach. So I, um, in our district down here in Southern California, while I support educational technology, I also get to help the gifted and talented. Uh, I was a gate teacher. So gifted and talented education, which I love. Um, as well as I was primary reading specialist, taught kinder for 16. So whoop, whoop to all the littles out there, all the <laughs> teachers that teach those little kids. I, I love that you can take the letter B, C, and two and get a complete sentence. Like that's an art. That's an art. I am a teacher because I love kids. I love students. 
you have to find what brings you joy. And for me, it's students like kids bring me joy, learning with them and from them bring me joy. And as I've transitioned up to that, the next level, you know, up to the district office, I started working with adult learners and I just thought like, oh, this is going to be so hard. This is going to be so difficult. And what I realized, and I'm so sorry if this offends anyone, but we're still like kids. We still need all the same things that kids need. We want love. We want value. We want the hugs. Sometimes we need to cry sometimes, but we also want to grow, you know, and we like that collaboration. So that has been a, a sweet little silver lining as I've transitioned through all these levels. And for me, when I worked, you know, I, I see, I've looked at like my little, my pattern, right? My pattern in education. What have I been doing? And it's about five years, about every five years, I seem to change. I I shift in something, switch grade levels, something. And I think for me, if I get to a point where it's same, same day, same thing, I, if I can think about doing this without a challenge, then I need a shift for me because I want to always, you know, I always want to be learning, you know, learning something or just bettering myself so that I can be a better service to people. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, I think. I have to say that's one of the reasons I'm excited about having you on the podcast, because the idea that you're a lifelong learner and that if if you're in something that's not challenging you or stretching you, things become stale and you get a little restless in your, in your position and you move on to some other new challenge. Absolutely. I feel kind of even, um, um, not even empathetic anymore. You know, it's like, I know this, the bottom of my hand, I, you know, for those people with the laminated lesson plans and, you know, all of, all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we all know, we know what we're talking about. And, and I have to be, and I'll, I'll be honest and transparent. I was that person for a minute. And that, and that's what happened. One day I had a student that just kind of challenged me and shook me out of that little educational coma I was in. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I think it happens when you have kids too, because when, when I started, you know, having, when I had my child, what do I want that teacher to do with my kid? And I'm like, oh, oh let me level this up because uh, I don't want him in my class right now. So, you know, I had to make some shifts to make sure that I was, I was being that person, you know, so I, I teach and I treat people the way I want to be treated. So as a teacher, you know, I taught, I teach at Title I schools, always, always. I want to teach where I came from. So I want students to see me as an example of where they can be. So African-American woman for people that, that uh, don't know, um, I want it to have that representation so kids can see like, you can be this, you can be a woman and you can be a teacher. You can be African-American. You can be, you know, you can be a teacher. You can be this person. And if you want to be something I am not, let me help you get there. I may not know, but I know someone that can get you there. I have resources that can get you there like that. That's kind of, that's my, um, my frame of mind. That's excellent. You, and the idea of representation is important and, and you teaching where you came from. It makes me think, you brought out a couple things in me there for a second, and I hope you did for the listeners as well, because it makes me think of something I talked about a long time before I did it. And it's nice to talk about, but then to do it, I started about eight years ago. Oddly enough, my two boys are 14 and 12. And it was that as a leader of a school, I didn't think it was right to have a teacher in the building that I would not be comfortable with putting my own kids in front of them. And for a while before those eight years, you know, I would say it because uh, let, let's be honest, you know, that's kind of tough talk, like check me out, you know, and I'm doing <laughs> the right thing. I'm so righteous, but doing it is another thing. 
And it was probably one of the, the tougher conversations I had to have and tougher actions I had to do with a teacher the first time I ever did that and acted on that belief. But boy, I'll tell you, ever since when I act on that belief, it's so much better for everybody involved. And, and whether you want to talk about, you know, being honest is best. This profession isn't for everybody. Some people have to move through it. That's so important. And one of the reasons I think the other thing that you brought up is my story of when I first started teaching. My first teaching job was at an alternative high school. And then I taught in the inner city in New Bedford. And I distinctly remember before becoming a teacher as my second career, me telling people that told me I should be a teacher saying, I, I don't want to deal with classroom management all the time. And I want people that are going to sit there and listen to, you know, what I have to say because, oh, I'm so smart. You know, I taught in the alternative high school. I remember calling my mother saying I got my first job and she asked where I said an alternative high school. And she was like, say what? And I never looked back. There's something so real about teaching in Title I schools, in places where you really make a difference that it just, Absolutely. It, it just really matters. Absolutely. I, I, find, I find that to be exactly true. My wake-up call, um, you know, when you teach in Title I schools, you have affluent areas around, you know, there's, they're around you. And uh, teachers may sometimes have their students or live in those affluent areas, but drive to the Title I school, you know, that they're, they're teaching at. And I happen to live and teach, you know, in, in around the same neighborhood. But I had a teacher friend, we collaborated together and her daughter was in an affluent area. And she's like, oh, and we were both third grade teachers. And she's like, oh yeah, my daughter's doing this in her class. She's doing that. She's doing this. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, we're third grade teachers. Why are we not doing that? We can do that right here. Nice. You know, and that was our shift. Like, wait a minute. You don't have to move out of this area to get that quality of education. We're we're outstanding teachers, but why aren't we doing that here? You know, and it was it was that just kind of that little wake up call. And I've just never looked back, you know, and it has been making sure that our students all students get that level of rigor because when, whether you're in title one or you're in that affluent school, all of those kids are going to be trying to get those same jobs, you know? So how are we making sure that our title one kids and our low socio can be competitive with those kids that they can, they can, you know, level that those inequities. And that's, that's really, that's my passion because I was that kid. I was that, that student at that title one kid, uh, title one school that needed those supports. And Thank God I had teachers that leveled it for me. And, and through the through the different programs all the way up, you know, I was able to capitalize on those opportunities to be where I am and to be that representation. So that's why I'm saying it is so important for the students to see that so that they know that just because you live here, that's not where you're always going to be. You know, this is a moment in time and you can get through this to build to something else. Like you don't have to be stuck in that cycle. And that, that I'm very, very passionate about being able to, to represent that and to show that to students as well as teachers. So that, I mean, that's a great point. So let me, let me put this question to you that comes to mind while you're, while you're talking about that. What can leaders do to bring as many teachers on board or to support as many teachers in, in having those expectations and offering those opportunities for students? How can, how can leaders get that to be a natural habit for teachers or attract teachers to their schools to do that? 
You know, that's a great question. I One of the things that we've been doing um, down in our school district and, and across the board, I know that people are, are doing it now, and that is becoming more culturally responsive practitioners. So this may be, you know, a buzzword that people hear, but let me break it down so people actually know what does that mean if you're culturally responsive. Uh, Zaretta Hammond is a, a, a leader in culturally responsive teaching, and she gives you like three levels of distinction. So you have social justice. So people hear social justice. What does that mean? That means that you are focused and centered in um, in equities, in government, and in the society, right? Multiculturalism. You know what does what does that mean? I'm I'm a multicultural teacher. Well, that means we're centered in in accepting diversity and seeing what that looks like and and honoring it. But culturally responsive teaching actually takes students' life experiences, their cultures, their language, and it connects it with the content that you're teaching. When you connect what kids are bringing in to the content that you're teaching, not only do you make it sticky, that knowledge sticky, but students are able to bring all of themselves into that learning environment and they grow. And this shift has been outstanding for our teachers in our district and across the country. I mean, as more people start to understand these practices, this mindset, not practices, but really the mindset, this pedagogy that they can, that they can use that will help to elevate students because a big part of that is what you were just asking is that critical um, critical thinking skills. Culturally responsive teaching is grounded in student academic success. The whole purpose, the whole reason why you're doing that is not just to say, hey, I see you as this race and I see you as this culture, but you're taking that knowledge and now you're going to stick it to social studies and science and math and you're going to use it to amplify and to push that academic uh, rigor. So high level critical thinking skills. So many of our brown students are stuck in level one and two, DOKs one and two. They're down in remembering and just reciting. Uh, But when you ask them to compare and contrast, prove with evidence, show me details, justify your responses, those are those high level critical thinking skills. How are we introducing or embedding that in all the curricular areas where our students are constantly in that level of critical thinking, they're processing, their minds are processing. You know, so um, making that shift to culturally responsive pedagogy has been so impactful for not only the teachers, because the teachers too have to bring themselves into, into that environment, but it validates everyone that's in there, shows that representation, and then helps to grow um, all of them academically. So the whole idea of that mindset, and I'm glad you made the difference between my mindset and practice, because the mindset has to be there first and then the practice can follow, uh, in my opinion. As a leader, how is it that I change those mindsets or help adjust those mindsets? And I know taking a proactive approach and things like that, but what, what would you think is the best way for me to get those ideas across to, to faculty so that they change their mindsets? Well, that's a great question. We've had uh, group meetings with first starting with our leaders in the in the district where we've had those conversations and kind of set up those expectations of what that looks like. But before even getting into that, dealing with us, what are we bringing into it? So dealing with our implicit biases, dealing with our um, stereotypes or, or any of that, if we have it, like dealing with who we are as people figuring out what those triggers are or where we are, and then moving 
forward with expectations of what does equity look like for all students and then coming up with those expectations as a system so that we can implement that and bring that down to our teachers, students and parents because they're in it with us. So the whole community is thriving together. So uh, we've done this through um, committees and group work as well as book studies. You know, people have been reading books. So what are you doing with that knowledge after you read the book? You know, what happens after you read the book? So uh, taking those concepts and then having the opportunities to operationalize those practices and put the mindset into practice. And this is what it looks like. And then dealing with the, with ourselves after that. You know, because we're not going to be perfect. Everyone, nobody's perfect. We all have um, we all have those learning times to to get through the process. But what are the shifts that we're making that's going to make it better for our students? You know, to make to make that learning environment more inclusive and to build equity. So we take away some of those inequities or lessen the inequities that they're dealing with. You know, it, it's interesting because. So often when we start to have these discussions, race inevitably comes into it and people get very defensive when they start talking about race. And the thing that kept popping into my mind when you were saying that is almost if there, if there could be a focus on systemic equity and approach it from that angle to then build in the idea that part of the systemic inequity is race. And then maybe people could change their mindsets more because once you, once you open, at least in my experience, once you open your mind to the idea of let's just start here, yes. There is systemic inequity. Then you can build up from there instead of saying, instead of trying to apply it as a film over what we currently do, it seems much more effective. And then, like you said, you can operationalize things or make the idea that things need to change due to the systemic inequities. Um, You can make that idea, and I'm going to steal your phrase, more sticky um, so that people hang on to it. Absolutely. And you know what? One of the uh, aha moments for the teachers in the book study that I was facilitating in our in our uh, district was I took race out of it right away. We're not talking about race. So now now how are you relating to your students? And it took a minute and they had to dig a little deeper into the cultures. Okay. Oh, maybe um, it's their life experiences. Let's find out about that. Oh, okay. Their languages. We have high ELL students, uh, English language learners in our district as well. Maybe it's bringing more of that into it, you know? So as soon as I took race out of it, out of it, it's not about race. Culturally responsive teaching isn't about race. It's about culture and there's so much more in that in that word than just race. Now what else can we do? And that is where we started to dig in and get the work done. You know, the first steps and yeah, yeah. looking at those shifts. So let me push even a little further on this. What do you see right now as one of the biggest shortcomings of education in the area of culturally responsive teaching? The biggest hurdle and challenge that I have is that many of the teachers A, they feel uncomfortable even getting into it because, again, they think it's race related. So they feel uncomfortable just even going there. I've had teachers that have asked me, can you come in and teach all my culturally responsive lessons? No, no, I can't. You know, I can't do that. But I'm going to support you and feel uncomfortable in doing that. And we can team teach, you know, together. We can bring in other stakeholders with you that can help you with that as well. But I can't be, and and please don't, you know, everyone out there in the universe, please don't ask all your people of color to teach all of those lessons. That's, it's not about that. It's about you too. You as an educator, connecting your culture to, to the content you're teaching, show your students what music you like to listen to that might go the jazz, or it doesn't have to just be jazz, but like 
if you have a unit that you're doing, say it's missions, California is huge on missions. I don't know about you guys out there, but we love our missions. So if we're doing this mission unit, what what are the uh, cultural things that you can bring into it that would relate to that? And then letting the students bring themselves into it. And that really, really centers on teachers creating deeper relationships with their students. You have to know your students beyond what's your favorite color, what pet do you have? You have to know, you have to get into their beliefs. You have to get into their likes. You have to get into, um, you know, what makes them tick, what, what brings them joy, you know, and amplify that and bring that into the content, you know? So if I have a student that I know is very artistic, I'm going to let them be artistic. I can let you take that narrative story and illustrate something with it. Or do you know what I'm saying? If you're a coder, I can let you bring that into that classroom. So how am I letting them bring those areas of themselves into those lessons? So amplifying student voice is really about options, you know, how are we giving them options to express their processing, how, how they're learning? How are we giving them options to share that out beyond the community, out to our parents, and then, you know, outside of that to other schools and being able to, to not have to do the same thing. If we get, I had one person, I'll share this really quick, Kristen, this is your turn. I have, no, I had- You're on fire. Keep going. I love it. I, well, you know what? This is another one of those aha moments when, um, back when I was a worksheet queen, you know, I had those worksheets and you have yep. them sent out weeks in advance, right? I had a, pr- a presenter at an ed tech uh, conference told me the most boring thing to do is to get 30 of the same thing back. And I was like, wait a minute, if you're doing a worksheet, you're getting 30 of the same thing back, right? So how am I creating a lesson that allows me to get a different product from each of those students? And that really changed me as well. Like that changed my pedagogy. So I'm telling you, Chris, that's why I have to be a lifelong learner because I'm not perfect. You know, I, I, for many years, I was comfortable. Like I did the things that made me comfortable as a teacher. But when I really became more student centered and really wanted, I put the focus on what was best for my kids. Heck yeah, it made me uncomfortable. But guess what? I was doing what was best for them. So it was pushing me to learn with them, to grow with them, and to also become more of a facilitator. Let me let you go. You teach me, you go, I will facilitate you. And that meant less control. So I had to, I had to learn. And I think, you know, I don't know, I'm 49 now that might come with wisdom, but um, with age and wisdom, right. But um, when I was able to do that, and even with my adult learners, it has, it's the magic sauce. Like that's where it takes me to the happy place because that's when I feel most impactful when I can see them actually do what they need to do. Whoever's doing the work is doing the learning. So if I'm doing all the clicking, I'm doing all the learning. I have to make sure they're doing the work so they're doing the learning. That's, there. you know, for anybody listening, they just, they're receiving lesson after lesson in <laughs> the idea of culturally responsive teaching and everything. So, I'm going to ask you to put your teacher's hat on for a minute. Go back to those days when you were a teacher in the classroom, maybe when you were the worksheet queen. Um, <laughs> and, and thank you for being vulnerable and admitting that because yeah. that's, that's an important thing. Put that teacher's hat on. Think of being a teacher in your classroom. You want to break away from the worksheets. If you could tell leaders, knowing what you know now, how they could have supported you to do that quicker or engaged you to do that quicker, what would you tell them? What do they need to do to, to get teachers to try these things? Because we can, we can say, you know, build relationships. You have to be uncomfortable. 
you know, it's okay. Don't be uncomfortable. Yeah, that's great to say. But knowing what you know now and what needs to happen for students to really latch onto this and all students in an equitable way, what would you tell leaders they need to do for teachers? There are two things when I had my teacher hat on that made it so much better for me. Uh, Well, okay, three things. I just thought of another one. (laughs) One of them is uh, when I became a gate teacher, I I learned the the prompts of depth and complexity that were created by Dr. Kaplan. And these prompts were actually a picture. They're actually a picture that is associated with the thinking skill. And these thinking skills were higher level thinking skills. So maybe there is a prompt that has like a circle, a triangle, a square that's across the discipline. So when my students saw these prompts, they learned how they were able to, where their minds should be thinking. I'm making connections right now. So while I was teaching them, these prompts and using them to um, to make my rigor more complex or make the, the the standard a little more complex. I was also teaching myself how I could up up my critical thinking skills for students. So that was one of them by using those prompts of depth and complexity. The second thing is when you look at the four C's and you're looking at, you know, communicate, collaborate, and all of those, when I started to really look at more of that collaboration, critical thinking, and creation, having more learning opportunities and professional development and what that looks like really um, also helps teachers to in, to increase that that engagement with students and that creativity. When we have them work together, we already have more, more brain power. And then when we shift the pedagogy, like really empowering teachers to see how that computer is just like a pencil. It's just a different way of, of using a device to, to amplify learning. I mean, Everyone, if you don't realize it now, technology is only amplifying what you already do. So if you're fantastic, you know, it's amplifying that. If you're not, you know, if you're not quite there, it amplifies that. It amplifies what you're doing. So the pedagogy shift is really, to me, where where that shift needs to happen. And the third thing, the third thing is project-based learning. That took me over the top as well. As I learned how to integrate and create projects and look at, look at my standards, what I was teaching and figure out ways that I can embed all of that and integrate that into other ways. Oh, it, it made it it made the lessons powerful. It made this, it made the learning deeper for not only the students, but also me as a teacher, learning how to facilitate and teach at that level. That is a, it's an art and it's a craft teachers. Like we all have to keep working on that no matter what level you are. If you are an administrator, you still have to know what that looks like. If you hear CRT, what does that look like when you come into a classroom? And then how can you support it as you're seeing it, as you walk through? So it's not just for the teachers like we should all be in this together learning it together but being able to really amp up that the rigor and the the those those critical thinking skills it happened in those spaces for me so those were those first you know those first couple of of places where I was able to okay let me let me try it here let me try it there and the other thing too I just have to quickly share this part is I did not do this alone. I did not silo myself. I didn't do this alone. Uh, Yes, you guys can probably tell I am a people person. I am. I know I am. Um, (laughs) However, you know, there there's been times when I've had to work alone, but I like a buddy. Like I like someone else's perspectives on how they can do things. I think of things the way I think of them, but maybe getting that other perspective um, can help shift some things too that again, helps to grow 
you and make you stronger. I really feel like I'm at, I'm the person I am because of the people that have poured into me as well as I poured into them. So, you know, iron sharpens iron. So I I'm all about sharpen me up. It's not pleasant, but I love the educator I'm becoming and growing. And I'm not there yet. Like I'm not there yet, but I like who I'm becoming. And, and I feel like it's, it's stronger each, you know, each professional development, each session, each podcast, each, each interaction, I learn and grow and and build upon it. So. Um, You know, it's, it's funny because when you were talking about working together with a buddy, some of my favorite memories are working with another teacher, Jessica Ross, we used to sit together and write curriculum for our classes because we were teaching the same grade level. And I, you know, just we, and it's funny, the different invisible things you do, like I would provide her a donut, she would type and I would talk and, you know, all that yes. stuff. But <laughs> some of the best, some of the best things, because we didn't always see eye to eye. And so we would push on each other. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the whole idea of, of change is difficult. You talk about iron sharpens iron. Change is difficult. But if we could just get past that difficulty and, and realize how rewarding that feeling is as we're changing. We, we'd all be much better off. Really quick, I just want to recap for people because there was so much said there. So with leaders, leaders listen to this podcast. Basically, you need to make sure you get some visual prompts for teachers to help them remember what they want to hit or give them little clues to what they want to hit. Definitely PD among teachers so that you get that pedagogy shift among that group with collaboration. And um, we, we got to get into the project-based learning thing. And we can only do that or support that better, one through PD, obviously. But the, the more important piece of that is the leaders got to get their hands dirty. As leaders, we've got to get in the classrooms. We've got to educate ourselves so that we can better support teachers in a meaningful way instead of just saying, hey, nice job and patting them on the back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the words that you just said, um, Chris, because, you know, how awesome would it be for you to go into a classroom and have those students teach you about that lesson? Like, you know, hands off teachers, let your students teach the lesson, let them bring people in and, and explain what's happening. Because of course, we know that we have really grasped the learning if we can explain it to someone else. And that's from TK all the way up to 12th grade, you know, for the littles, you know, let your students do things for whoever follows Christine Pinto, like Gaffer Littles, that woman has TK and kinder kids working in spreadsheets. I mean, I had to have a kindergartner show me how to work a spreadsheet before. And it was awesome. And I was like, Hey, help me. Like I'm anybody can help me. Uh, Spreadsheet scared me. And I was like, okay, my teacher heart was like, if a kindergartner can do it, I can do it. So I, I, you know, I had to be humbled and I got in there and, 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 you know, I could see it at their level, of course, but, but even seeing it at that very, um, finite stage was, was like, okay, all right, I got this. I can, I can get up to first grade now. Now I can get up to second grade. You (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But it's those baby steps. And I think when you do it with someone, like you were saying, if you, if you can find that trusted colleague and sometimes teachers, it may not be at your site. It's sometimes it may be outside your site. So PLNs, very, very impactful, very important, but you find a learning community that can help support you, then you grow, you know, and, and you don't have to be alone because where, where it gets a little uncomfortable, you have someone to kind of, to guide and lift you up. Awesome. And I, I want to hit back on that, the idea of PLNs and and maybe different ways to do that. But first I want to just take a quick break, hear from some of our sponsors and, and then come right back after that. 
Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, who put out a great newsletter every Sunday called The Weekend Resource. This newsletter provides incredible value, sharing tremendous leadership resources from across a variety of resources. And I personally love the inspiring quote at the end of each weekend resource because I can use it with my staff. Subscribe by visiting betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash weekend dash resource. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Okay, and we're back with Nairi, and we were just talking about change being difficult but oh so rewarding and, and how it's really something when you can go into a classroom and have students teaching you and how it's sometimes difficult because that, you know, that pride gets in the way, um, that ego jumps in the way and tries to slow us down, which is why it's even more important to build a PLN and sometimes not in our own building. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, maybe some ideas you have about building PLNs because they're not just for teachers, leaders need them as well. Oh, Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that about leaders too, because um, so two things, I don't know if for some of you ladies out there, you may have seen, or men, you may have seen um, hashtag sister circles. So that is a PLN that has a lot of leaders, uh, female leaders that kind of join together and support each other in Twitter. So I am talking Twitter right now, everyone. Educators, please, please get a Twitter account. Twitter is wonderful. Even don't, don't think about it. Um, personally, just think about creating a PLN is actually your personalized learning community and you get to pick them. You pick who you follow, you pick what you want to learn about. And that can, um, that PLN may shift. You might have different ones. So like me personally, I have an EdTech PLN of leaders that help me with EdTech and we support each other. I also have equity and diversity PLN because I want to grow in that area. Every time I want to grow in an area, I go on Twitter or uh, Instagram and I look for those hashtags and I start to follow those people that really help to bring more resources and knowledge for me in those areas. So PLNs are amazing. I was in a, um, in a situation where I didn't have a lot of people on my site that I could connect with. So when I went outside, when I was outside of my district, I was able to still get that fulfillment, still get that interaction, collaboration. I collaborated with someone in Northern California and we collaborated on lesson plans together. I mean, like our kids taught, you know, we're able to connect with each other. That was fantastic. Our students were still able to learn. Um, also for equity and diversity, I was going to ed tech conferences and not seeing a lot of people that look like me. So one, someone challenged me with, well, be the change you want to see, Nairi. Well, okay, now I have to do that. And I did. I leveled up everybody. I did. I started presenting. That was uncomfortable. That was new because you go outside of your district. You don't know. You don't know how everything runs, you know, but I did. I started saying, hey, if I was a teacher, what would I want? You know, so I just shared, started sharing and and it got easier. 
And then I got a group of people from Twitter that I'm like, hey, I don't see people. And they were like, hey, let's start researching and going around and, and checking to see who's in the room and how can we add, add more people to these diverse spaces Equity and Action was born from that PLN, from that collaboration. So we are a group of six members all over Southern California that banded together to create our own uh, participatory research group and started asking these questions. And, and literally, we are just regular people. We all have jobs and we come together We and we created some protocols and started going to these different conferences in Southern California to see how we could build diversity. And let me tell you, it's been about two and a half years now. We have actually been able to host our own events where people have actually come for two, three-day events and just talking about equity. What does that look like? How can we increase it? How can we amplify the voices? How can we make teachers feel comfortable in professional learning spaces? How can we make sure our students are, are okay in their learning spaces? What can we we do there. We've had guest speakers in. We've been able to have the, you know, the real, the part that most of our attendees like is when we go into those breakout rooms, nothing's recorded. So you can be as honest as you need to be in that space and have those conversations. And sometimes it's not comfortable for anybody, but we push through it and we figure out ways to make it better for everyone, because that is the common thing that's in, in, in those spaces. We all want to see teachers grow, students grow. We want our communities to grow. So that's our, our common focus. So how can we do that? You know, and that, that has been fantastic, fantastic. That's that discomfort and change thing that uh, you got to get a little uncomfortable to change, but that change is so worth it because things have to change. We always have to be looking towards the better. Now, those groups that you have and those two to three day events, those are for both teachers and leaders. And parents. And I'm glad parents. you asked. And wow. parents. And we even had some, we had some high school students that attended. So it, it is appropriate. It is appropriate for, you know, high school age kids, middle school kids. The conversation is appropriate for them because, again, it is amplifying, you know, voices and how to create those welcoming spaces and what we can do. So um, it, it's nice for leaders to be in those spaces. And I've had some um, principals and assistant principals from my district come to that event, you know, I'm sure supporting me as well as, as the event, but they all left with the aha because you don't always see it from a different perspective. So being in that room and, and hearing what those parents are saying, hearing the words from the student's mouths say things, that was very uh, humbling for us. You know, even if you think you're doing the best that you can and you think this is going to be okay and students say like, no, that's not it. You know, that, that, that can be a little wounding, but then doubling back with, okay, you know, this is, this was my idea. What's your idea? You know, how can we make this better? What can we do within the parameters of everyone's, you know, districts and, and all that stuff, but what can we do to shift, to make this better for you? Cause this is your education. This is your, this is your school. This is your, your time. So what can I do for that? And then it gets better. So, you know, that uncomfortable, but then it's getting better. And that's the part, that part when, when you see the fruits of your labor, you know, for the students, that's the part you want to get to because it makes all that uncomfortable so worth it. You know, like you, you're just growing that thick skin and it makes it, it makes you feel like, you know, you got that armor on and you, you can do this, you know, and your students feel that empowerment, you know, so then you feel empowered and that, and, and that's with your adult learners and even the admins, they felt more comfortable 
learning how to create and sustain those courageous conversations because we can't just do it when something traumatizing or traumatic happens to us. You know, we we have to be able to continually have those courageous conversations that, you know, that's going to build us stronger as a community all the time. You know, Nairi, you you said, first of all, you said a lot of gold right there, but you said something that really rang true with me. And it seems like this is where it all pretty much starts, perspective. And I do a lot of talking in like weekly videos and messages to students and parents of the community about perspective taking and taking other people's perspective. But man, it is so hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes. You know, here I am, I talk about it and give messages about, you know, you look for the silver lining and the bad and things aren't necessarily so bad if you just take a different perspective. And then, you know, two minutes later, I catch myself not taking the perspective of a parent whose email I'm reading or voicemail I'm listening to, it drives me mad because I'm, I'm trying, but it's so hard. But it seems like it, it all starts with perspective. And what I'm really interested in is the idea of parents. I mean, you said that was like a mic drop. You said parents are involved in these things. And we always talk about getting the community involved, but you, you very rarely see parents strictly in the role of parent at anything like this co- type of a conference or anything like that. So how do leaders get their communities involved, their parents specifically involved in questioning and changing the culture they have to create more empowerment and more support? You know, two ways we've we've reached out to our communities in our district. One, we have a parent group. So we have like an ELAC group, um, English Language Advisory Committee. And we also have an African-American Parent Advisory Committee, an APAC. Uh, down here in, in California, we have lots of, uh, almost every district has an APAC committee. And through these parent groups, we're able to get more information and amplify their voices. We also have a district parent advisory committee. So, you know, there is a committee for everybody. So everybody can find a space. Uh, It's almost kind of like um, creating affinity groups feels like, Um, but within those groups, those voices are amplified. They're brought back to the district level. We've also had some staff and parent forums. So this is where we've had um, like equity and access at our county level has come into our district level and has um, presented, like had a presentation of about inclusion and equity and what that looks like and what parents should be seeing and how they can have strategies to interact with leaders in, in a way that empowers them to have that conversation because many parents may, you know, school is a whole nother system. It's another language. And if you don't know how to interact in that language, it may, it, it can be intimidating. So these are those workshops that allow parents hopefully to build that, build those skills so that they know this is who you talk to if this happens. And um, these are, you know, get involved in your LCAP uh, spending budget committee so that you can have a voice in how that is. But those, that parent forum was outstanding. You know, our parents were there. We had leaders there, teachers there. And um, we had a student forum as well to have student voice as well. But having those parent groups and, and giving them a place to to tell us what they want. Like, of course, how many parents said, I want to know how to work on that Chromebook that you sent home with my kid. You know, like, I want to know how to push all the buttons. So, so being able to have have any of those workshops and what does this actually mean for me and how can I best, because most of our parents were like, how can I best support my kid? You guys use Google? Well, how do I do it? How do I support my kid? My kindergartner knows how to do a slideshow. 
I don't know how to help them with it, you know? So having a workshops uh, for our parents was very ha- uh, helpful. And I know that in, in speaking with PLN members, there were lots of parent academies that were created across, you know, across the country where parents were able to, you know, have those monthly workshops where they came in and learned X, Y, and Z. And that was really empowering for a lot of parents. That's fantastic. So we're getting near the end of this whole thing, but I, I'm dying to ask you two questions that I like to ask of um, of everybody I have on here. The first one is, if you were not a teacher or a leader because you've moved up into the central office position, who, not what, would you be? Well, I really think I would have been a social worker. Um, that's where that's where I started. I thought I was going to be a social worker, and I went out on a on a call, like um observing, and I wanted to bring everybody home with me. So I was trying to figure out how I can save this person and save that person and save this person. I think now at this stage, I I, I would have it was one or the other, education or social work, because I I need to actively be involved with people. Like I I I need that for myself. So social work, being able to give people the skills that they need to thrive. And isn't that what teaching is? Like, I didn't realize that. So I started there first, but then I wound up over here because I knew that if I became a teacher, I couldn't bring those kids home. So, um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's hands down. So yeah, that, that would have been me. That's, that was one of my, my first initial goals. Given the people, the skills they need to thrive. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So think about our conversation today. And the last question is what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower their teachers? You know what? I'd have to say a week ago, that would have been a different, that would have been a different response. Right now in this moment, I have to say the best advice is that self-care is not selfish. Everyone needs to know that, that your self-care is not selfish. And, and within that, we need to be honest about who we are, where we are, our feelings, be, be real transparent with that. And know that taking care of yourself is, is not bad. It's not bad. And I think that goes for leaders too. You know, as teachers, we absorb our students, but as leaders, you absorb the students, then you absorb the teachers and you absorb everything else. So we, we really have to do a real good job of, of having some boundaries and definitely making sure that we're okay so that we can continue to do the work that we do. Is there a way to authentically and sincerely give that message? Because obviously, you know, if, if a leader is talking to their teachers and telling them to self-care and it's not sincere, Teachers see that through that, just like our, our students see through when we don't really care about the, the subject matter that we're teaching. And I know that during this, you know, with all this COVID, when, when teachers came back to hybrid models, whatever, everybody talked about self-care. And I know that we did a couple things at my school, but I also know that there's teachers and talking to other leaders, and I'm sure there were some at my school that said, I, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about self-care because, you know, I, I need to get this done and self-care is just more talk than action. What's your advice around that? I'm so glad you said that because it, it is the action. <laughs> you said that I about mean, four times. I'm, well, I'm telling you because yeah. it's, it's what they're saying is I hear the words, make it happen, right? So right. here's a couple of examples. So as a, as a reading coach, there were two of us. During Christmas, we would go into the classroom. We kick the teacher out. Hey, we have snacks. We have something for you in our room. We have your class. And we, we took every teacher's class the whole day for the whole day. We took them all for, for an hour. 
you know, so that teacher had in an elementary, we don't have pep periods, you know, like during the day. So, you know, we took that time for them. That was a form of self-care. They got to do whatever. I don't even care what you're doing. You're not going to be here. I'm going to be here, you know, and that's the same. Even during remote time, I would come into a classroom for a teacher, teach a lesson for the students and and let that teacher co-teach with me or take a break to be off camera. Sometimes self-care leaders is just allowing your teachers to turn the camera off. Please let them just turn the camera off. Sometimes that is just enough, less pressure that you can get through that meeting or that time. You know, there's little actionable steps that we can do in self um, to, to really implement what that, what that means, you know, and it's the action. So how can we just take a little bit of something off of somebody's plate? I think that's self-care and self-care could be like for teachers. It could be that you had an extra chance to read a chapter in a book, or, you know, you might've gotten two loads of laundry in, in a day instead of just one or time to go walk your dog, you know, but, But if you are able to just take a little pressure, release a little pressure, that self-care is going to feel real good for those teachers. So that's how we were able to make it actionable. And they were so very thankful for that. That's fantastic. Look, you've you've said some great things today, Nairi. If people want to follow up, and I can't imagine people not wanting to follow up for more information, what's the best way to get in touch with you? My Twitter account. So I know that you are going to give them um, a handy dandy resource that I I created yep. for you all. If you don't know me yet, you're going to know I love Wakelet. And uh, <laughs> inside of that Wakelet, it has all my contact information. So Twitter and Instagram, I have some professional accounts that I, I like to collaborate and talk. So let me know what you're thinking, what your thoughts were with this. If you'd like to go further, that that's so fun to do a presentation and someone actually reaches out and, and you continue learning. So I've been making some real good friends. People say I'm a I'm a people collector. So I love collecting good people. So um, that is how you can you can find me. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so very much for being on the show today. It um, it far exceeded even my high expectations at the start. So <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me and um, have a great day, everyone out there listening to the podcast and stay connected. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. 
Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.